Hey everybody, it is Scott from the Gen X Playback Show, and welcome back to part two of our episode on Top Gun the Movie from 1986, starring Tom Cruise. So we're going to pick up about halfway through the movie, where they start taking classes at Top Gun, and we get to meet the Charlie character a little bit more in depth as the classes start at the uh, flight school. We're going to finish out the movie and we're going to talk about the legacy of Top Gun towards the end and why it has been significant, why it was picked by the Library of Congress for film preservation, and why it means so much to Gen Xers around the world. So sit back and relax. Hope you are enjoying the first part of our episode on Top Gun. If you did, I'm sure you'll enjoy part two. So stay tuned, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. So, but then we kind of cut to the next day, you know, the first day at Top Gun, and, and here all the uh, the pilots are sitting around, and we understand that there's this this civilian uh, who's going to be coming, and, you know, she also is, is going to be, you know, someone that is going to be an instructor, although she's not in the military, so don't salute her, but she's a PhD, she's an astrophysicist, and she really knows her stuff. And who is it? But it's Charlie. And this woman comes walking down, and she's in heels, and she turns around, and here it's the woman that he approached at the bar. So what does Maverick, uh, you know, everybody just kind of like rolls their eyes, like, oh, man, uh, you know, thinking that this is going to be a long 13 weeks if, if this is going to be the case. And uh, so she starts in, kind of shows off what she knows about fighter, fighter jets and, and aircraft. And um, so she starts talking about the specifics of a certain uh, jet. And this uh, is where, it's a MIG. Yeah, she's talking yeah. about the MIG and, and she's talking about, you know, thrust to power ratio. And all of a sudden now Maverick has an opportunity to let that kind of that playful cockiness come to the forefront. He's like, you know what? Now I have something on her. You know, she shot me down the night before. This is kind of his way of getting back at her. Right. And and I was wrong. She wasn't an astrophysicist. She has a PhD in physics. So okay. it's kind of playing into, to, you know, the aviation. So anyways, yeah. And there's a sidebar conversation between Maverick and Goose because, you know, they saw this make up close. So they're having this little chat. The great, the great thing about it is she's she's talking about and, and Maverick's having the conversation with Charlie, and at one point uh, he's like, "Well, I saw," and Goose turns and he's so offended. <laughs> yeah, I know, I love that part. And he goes, "We," <laughs> and Maverick looks at him. He goes, "Sorry, we <laughs> saw this me." And as soon as he says "we," Goose goes, "Thank you," <laughs> and he sits. He's all proud and yeah, yeah no, and it's that that is that's. It, little gold in in a, that scene but yeah so as you said maverick now has has one up on charlie because while she's the expert who's supposed to be briefing them about the mig he's the only one there who actually saw he, well he's one of two who actually saw a mig up close yeah and he and he's not you know where she starts asking him questions he's not giving her answers and he's kind classified of be, he's being funny and he, he goes i can't and she goes what do you mean you can't that's classified i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you yeah and she said, the Pentagon uh, sees to it that I know more than you do. And 
Maverick goes, well, I guess not in this situation, is it? And so it's just kind of a fun give and take. He's able to kind of get her back from from the slight humiliation from the night before. Right. So we go from that, and now it's the first day. So the, the pilots go out, and they're, they're flying, and we get to see some of the, the games that they, they play. And they, you know, we're going to have Jester, um, the instructor there, and he's going to be the enemy. He's going to fly one of the, a smaller plane that's going to, you know, is meant to kind of resemble a MiG. And they actually, we get to see Maverick and Goose kind of get chased down Jester and get a kill shot on him. However, they break a major law uh, at, at the school by going below what they call the hard deck. Right. So the hard deck was set at 10,000 feet and it is designed to uh, keep you out of the mountains because when they do these training missions and the, the, the actual shots of the training was done in Nevada. So in Nevada, you have a lot of high and low ground. So the hard deck was set at 10,000 feet, which meant you did not go below 10,000 feet. Well, it, while they're chasing down Jester, at one point, uh, in, and they're keeping up with him, Jester's in a, in a smaller MiG, which is a smaller, faster plane. And the F-14s are a bigger plane that carries more, I guess you could say, more ammunition on it. It's more it's, powerful. It's more powerful. Yeah. So the, the, the key is, can you keep up with these smaller, faster planes? So... He is right behind Jester. He can't get him on radar lock. Jester makes a maneuver where he basically goes straight up in the atmosphere. And so Maverick goes chasing after him. And then they Maverick and Goose realize that he's getting ready to nosedive. And he's going to go for below the hard deck. Not uh, the only reason that they believe that he was doing that was because they, they that he figured he was going to get radar lock. So he was doing that to get them to back off. And so they decide, they make the decision, and they both do. Maverick and Goose decide to go after him, and they end up getting him on radar lock, and uh, they get they get their first win. Well, they think it's their first win, but they go below the hard deck, and it is a major violation. So as they, they come back, you know, celebrating, they're all, they're all happy. You know, they, they request permission to land, and of course they're denied permission because, you know, it's it's full, they can't come in, so... They decide they're going to go buzz the tower, right? So they re- he requests, um, as as Maverick says, we request we request a flyby, and the air traffic controller says uh, denied. You know the, the the path is clear. You know you're supposed to stay where you're supposed to stay, and they decide to get as close to the tower as they can, just as the controller is given a cup of coffee, right? So as they go past supersonic. It has a tendency to make the air, uh, you're, you're creating turbulence in the air. So in doing so, it makes the tower shake and he spills the coffee all over himself. And, you know, just to backtrack a little bit to what they, their incident with Jester, Maverick pulls off a move that we'll see later on. And it's where he hits the brakes. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a famous, I'm going to hit the brakes and let him fly by. Which nobody does. It's such a dangerous maneuver because if you think about it, you're being chased and you you hit your brakes. So and shoot up high and let the guy fly by you and at full uh, speed. Yeah, I, it, what are the the chances are of that plane coming into the back of you and you both crashing is is very real and could very much happen. And so it's it's certainly a risky maneuver to do but we get to see what is what makes maverick the great pilot that he is is that he has this incredible 
daring about him. He has almost no fear. And he has a great instinct, uh, like you said, with, with hitting the brakes. What other pilot would say to draw a plane in closer as you're about getting ready to get fired upon. Now, on one hand, you know, you can say, you know, that it's irresponsible, you should go by the book. But keep in mind what the whole purpose of this Top Gun is, is that these pilots were kind of losing that instinctive fighting ability. And so here you have a contrast between Iceman, who is, once again, goes by the book. He's the perfect textbook pilot. And you have Maverick, who, you know, quite frankly... In a dogfight, I think you might want him on your side because he has these instincts about him and he's not afraid to take chances. Well, and that's that's the argument that Iceman makes throughout the movie, is can he be trusted? Because there are times... Oh, he leaves his the, wingman frequently. There are times where he he's he's a rebel. Yeah. And when, you are, when you're in the military, as anybody that's been in the military will tell you, your life is in the hands of the person next to you, and it's no different than when you're up in the in the air, in a, in an air in a in a plane, when you're running two guys in a group to go out into uh, flying a mission. If you don't have that cover, if you don't have that support, you're out there. You're sitting duck. And many many pilots in World War II said that when they used to run their bombing missions, that they they were a sitting duck up there. They they could be they could be picked off by the Germans at any time, which is why they started to do the you know these 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 fighter planes would start flying together, and that way they could run in formation together to, to protect each other. So of course Maverick and Goose, they get in trouble for this. They get called into Viper's office, and you know Viper has a different approach to it than how Stinger, what his approach was. Stinger was going to get in your face. He's going to yell. He's going to scream. Viper is almost more intimidating by being so cool and calm and reserved. It's There's just like this edge that you can tell. He's serious, and you you don't want to mess with him. And so he, they know they're in trouble. They walk out. Goose has a funny line about, hey, uh, maybe I can still apply for that truck driving school that we saw on TV. and Which we used to see on TV <laughs> all the time. Right. So then they, they walk away. You know, of course, they, they get reamed out. and But then Viper says talks to Jester about, you know, how – what a good pilot that Maverick is. And, you know, of course, you know, Jester's thinks that he's, you know, he's kind of dangerous and Maverick or Viper's like, well, he got you, didn't he? Yeah. And just, and Viper, when he, when he talks to Jester and he, and he said, um, would you trust him in, yeah, it, in battle? It, would you trust him if he was on your side? And Jester goes, I don't know, man. I, yeah. or, I just don't know. And that, and at that point, Viper lets the audience know I flew with his old man in the war. Yeah, and so now we know that there's there's a connection here between Viper and Maverick that we did not know. Obviously, Viper knew who Maverick was before even you know before he even got to the school in the first place. Right, exactly. So then after this, we we there's a scene where where Goose goes to Maverick and he tells him that you know he makes him nervous, you know with with the way he's flying, and you know you kind of you start to see this this bond that between the two of them where you know they Maverick you know assures him and that they you know he really cares for him because you know we learned that maverick doesn't really have any family there's one person in the world that he's loyal to and that's goose and that's goose yeah right so there's there's nobody else uh you know he he was friendly with cougar but you know as Iceman said you know everybody's referring to cougar as being the friend 
Maverick never has any reference to any friends other than Goose and Goose's wife. Right. So then we we have a scene where we're going to see Charlie again. So now Charlie is the one kind of coming up to Maverick. Maverick's sitting there at school. He's at a desk. He's studying. You know, she kind of acts like she is uh, instructing him. Uh, You know, acts like she shoots him down while she slips him a note telling him that he needs to be, you know, to come to her house for dinner at 530 sharp. She gives the address. And, and that's and key, it, sharp with some exclamation points. It's it's done very, very uh, quietly. Right. Where it actually sounds like, because Maverick, again, kind of asks her out on a date, and she, because there's other people in the room. Slider among Slider's them. right behind them. Yeah. And so she kind of turns him down again while she's handing him the note saying, be at my house, such and such an address, 530 sharp. And so as she's walking out of the room, Slider, who's playing with a toy plane for some reason, <laughs> right? I guess when you're a uh, you know a, a lieutenant, uh, junior grade, uh, you know rear interceptor officer, I guess you you get to play with toys at Top Gun. But he turns to Maverick and he and he starts teasing him. And has the plane will go down. And but and you know amazingly, um, Maverick, even though he knows he got the girl's address, he doesn't let on. And he tells Slider that he stinks. Then we go to what is arguably one of the most famous scenes in the entire movie. I I think so. And this is is the movie that, or the scene that, if you're a guy, you you know, you're already in the movie because of, you know, these over-the-top, kind of these super cool characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, now Now you're getting the females involved in the movie. And this is this is the eye candy scene for the ladies. Yeah, all of you listening right now know. Listen to this music. What scene we're talking about? And it, of course, is the famous beach volleyball scene where Maverick and Goose take on Iceman and Slider. And I credit I credit these guys for doing a pretty good job out there. They were it was obviously the four of them playing beach volleyball, and it was pretty pretty competitive. I mean. They now granted they could have let Goose win a couple of points instead of you know him spiking the ball and then getting it returned. Maverick didn't have to win every single point, but still it was it was a it was a fun scene. It's uh, kind of over the top because you know sliders posing, <laughs> and uh, but I can tell you that of my female friends, that that was the scene they loved the most. So I heard an interview with Kenny Loggins, and he, you know, he was talking about Danger Zone, how he got to record it. It's because he was working on this song. Yeah, this was the song he did first. Well, he was brought in, and he, and Kenny said that they had a bunch of writers come in, and you know, once again, the the soundtrack was going to be a big deal. So they kind of, you know, had this A list group of writers coming in. They they got to see some of the movie clips, and they got to kind of pick, you know, what scenes they wanted to write for. And so Kenny said to his um, his co-writer, I think his name is Peter Wolf, who actually wrote the song "We Built the City." Yes. So they're in the room, and the scene comes on, and he goes, "That's the one we're going to write for." Okay. And he said, "Because no one else will write for it." Oh, really? He says everybody else wants the action scenes. He goes, "We're going to write for that one." He goes, "It'll be guaranteed. It'll get in the movie." Which is funny you say that because one of, one of the most memorable scenes in the movie Caddyshack, which he also had you know a few songs on as well. Is the pool scene where the caddies get to go into the pool mm-hmm. from three to three <laughs> fifteen? Right. 
and that's that's a that's a you know that's just a fun song that he were I'm I would imagine that that was the same type of thing that he probably saw the scene and said yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna write something for that because if you think about it I mean that's it's it's not one of the bigger scenes you know or you didn't think going in it was going to be a huge scene now I did hear that Tony Scott actually pulled a maverick on that scene where he took an entire day to shoot that volleyball scene. Okay. And he was not supposed to do that. This was supposed to be a bit of a throwaway scene. but And the he got reamed out by, I guess, you know, whoever the powers be. I couldn't believe that he wasted so much time, money, uh, sunlight, you know, resources on this scene. Well, they had to pay, the studio had to pay the Navy for their time. And for him to spend that much on one particular, how much of the movie do you think that was? Maybe six minutes? Maybe? If that? If if that. If that. No, it wouldn't have been that long because it's not a six-minute song. Well, yeah, because the song itself was only three and a half, or not under four minutes. So. And, we didn't, and we, they didn't play the entire song. So you're talking maybe two and a two, half minutes? Two, two and a half exactly minutes? Exactly right. Under three minutes. And they, he, you know, it was in, cost a lot of money to film that. And then it turns out to be one of the most iconic scenes, not just in this film, but in, in 1980s movies. Absolutely. And it's still the scene that I think, uh, you know, if you talk about the movie when you're thinking, oh yeah, Top Gun. I think that's got to be one of the scenes that is one of the first scenes that pops into everybody's mind. Right. So they're out there playing volleyball, which is funny because, you know, in this movie, they went to great lengths to hide Tom Cruise's height. Right. So when... Because in real life, Kelly McGillis is about three, four inches taller than Tom Cruise. Whenever you see them together, he's always taller than her. Correct. Yeah. And so he, she's not wearing heels, and he is wearing, uh, you know, <laughs> some type of platform shoe. And in the movie, you know, it's showing uh, Maverick is the guy spiking the ball when Goose is much taller. Yes, he is. Uh, all the well, the other three characters are all. I think Val Kilmer is like six one six two and i think that's you know anthony edwards is the same rick rosovich i think is six three yeah so right. and, and tom's our height you know he's right. he's uh, roughly five seven five eight you know five nine i think that's where we are i think i think that well i'm yeah, i'm dreaming at that but he's i think they're um i think they list him usually at about five seven or so five six five okay. seven so but still anyways they they kind of, you know, go to those lengths to disguise that, even in this scene. Because I tried to look to see if there's any time in the movie where he might be next to Goose, and you could see that he's much shorter. But they never, they do a real good job of editing, so you never pick up on that. But throughout the volleyball scene, well, there's a lot of, once again, there's this testosterone going on between who's going to be number one. I mean, these are clearly the two top teams here at Top Gun. And throughout the volleyball match, you can, Maverick keeps looking at his watch. Because keep in mind, he got that note, and Charlie told him, be there, sharp. 5.30 sharp. Yeah. And so he leaves the the the, the match. Um, well, it's important to note that he does so under objection from Goose. Right. Because they're tied 1-1. Right. Because they, they just won. They were, they were losing. They won the second game. Now they're tied. And everybody being, you know, hyper-competitive. Oh, you can't leave it a tie. You have to have a tiebreaker. Yeah. So what does Maverick do? He's like, I can't stay. And so Goose is pleading with him to stay so they can finish out this competition. And, um, you know, Maverick decides to go on the date. 
even though at this point he knows he's extremely late. So, you know, I was thinking about this uh, scene, uh, you know, with the fact that, you know, he was told he needed to be there at 530 and he's running late. They don't give us the backstory. Like, why, how did this volleyball match come about? Suddenly, we, oh, you know, these guys are suddenly playing volleyball. You know, I, I wonder if there wasn't a part of the script where they set something up ahead of time prior to him getting the note saying be there at 530 sharp where, I mean, Charlie doesn't even ask if he has plans. Right. I mean, she just basically hands the note and says, you know, basically be there. Well, and he, when he does get to her house and they start having a conversation, you start to see the Charlie personality a little bit more, even though in the beginning she's, you know, pushing away his advances and now you're starting to actually meet the real uh, Charlotte and she is, she's a person that knows how to get what she wants. Right. Right. And what she wants is information because if Maverick and Goose are the only two guys who've ever seen a MIG up close and she is supposedly an expert in this field. And as she says, she's up for a promotion and the information that Maverick has regarding the MIG could really help her advance her career. Right. So she's definitely into into her career, and they, they start talking, and you're starting to see the ice break between the two of them. They're, they're, they're starting to, you know, they're, he shows up late in the beginning, and she's, she's not mad, but she does want to let him know that she's not mad, so she kind of wants to, you know, give him a hard time. Right. So when he, when he comes, finally comes to the door, and she, you know, they come in, he comes inside, and he's like, hey, um. Uh, I take a quick shower. You know, I'm a little, little sweaty. And, she, and he's like, do you mind? And she's like, yeah, I mind. She goes, have a seat. I'm hungry. Yeah. So that's, that's how their evening starts. And it starts where she's kind of in control. Right. But by the end of the evening, and we get, you know, they, the, the walls start to break down a little bit. And we get a little bit of backstory. We, we learn more about Maverick's father. And so we kind of are getting more insight into how Maverick is the way he is. At the end, it almost seems like... Charlie is kind of making some advances towards Maverick and he's the one that gets up and leaves. He does. And by you almost get the sense that when she hands him the note that she's ready to take this relationship or this, you know, attraction to another level, you know, to the, to another step. And so when he comes when he comes out and they start to actually get to know each other a little bit, at that point she's She's pretty much ready to, all right, we're ready to, to go to the next level in our, in our relationship. And at that point, he pulls away. He leaves. And even though he tells her how much he enjoyed his time there, but he, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to the base. I'm going to take a shower. And, and now he has the upper hand in the relationship. And now he's got the control in the relationship. So then we go to the, to the following day. And, and here the, we have a scene shot on an elevator. And this is a scene that was added to the movie later on. This is when, when the original movie was shot and they went before the test audiences. They wanted more of the Charlie Maverick relationship. So they go back and they add some scenes. And, and the next scene is the one in an elevator where you will see Charlie wearing a hat. Which is, there's a reason for Because it. she cut her hair and I think dyed her hair for another part that she was in. She went from a blonde in Top Gun to a brunette in the next movie that she was working on and her hair was much darker and it would have stood out if she would have gone from that hair color back the fact that like Sean said 
they shot this after the the movie was already made so all the other scenes she has blonde hair so now she has this really dark brown hair so the only way you can do it is to cover up with so they put a leather jacket on her and almost like she was sneaking into the uh you know the office area where maverick was or or the base and uh like she was like she was kind of going like she was sneaking her way onto the base to to talk to him right and he also take note of it his hair is a little bit longer than what it is throughout the rest of the movie because at the time he was shooting the color of money and it's so it's for that part it's not quite as military cut as right. what he has so it's just in that scene so just a little back and forth i you know i i don't know that it added a ton you know it's just kind of it's starting to bring out the the romance a little bit but we go from that and then we get to see Goose, a little bit of Goose aside, where his wife Carol and son Bradley, mm-hmm. you, you might remember that for uh, <laughs> for Top Gun Maverick, yeah. Carol, and you know who is uh, as as Scott said is is played by by Meg Ryan. First time I ever saw Meg Ryan was that moment. Just uh, you know, cute, bubbly, kind of like the perfect uh, for a young military couple, I guess, because she didn't seem to mind traveling to meet up with her husband. Um, but yet, uh, she was definitely, they were in love. It was kind of, it was kind of nice that you didn't see Goose as somebody who chased around behind her back. Yeah, and right. yeah, he's very devoted to he's his He's a family wife, man. Even though they were, uh, at that, at that particular moment, they were probably thousands of miles apart from each other. And now they get to reunite and see each other for the first time. And who knows how long they didn't really get into specifics on that, but it's, you know, his young wife and his very young son. Right. And you get to see how, while, you know, Maverick doesn't have much of a family, you know, Carol and Goose are his family. Right. And, you know, you know, the she immediately starts blabbering things that Goose has told her about Maverick, because obviously, to his credit, Goose doesn't keep secrets from his wife. Right. And so as soon as she, you know, that she hugs her husband, and then Maverick comes in and she hugs him and says, Goose tells me you're in love with one of your instructors. and. <laughs> And he just turns and looks at Goose, and Goose just kind of has that kind of sheepish, bashful look on his face. And and like you know, Sean's a hundred percent right. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you're going to talk to your, and especially if they know each other, if they know Maverick that well, like you said, he's he's one of their, he's part of their family. But that's a moment where I think you can see why Meg Ryan goes on to have a huge career, especially among us Gen Xers. You know, there's a lot of big, you know, Sleepless in Seattle when Harry met Sally, you know, just rattle some quick off the top of my head. You know, where, you know Meg Ryan was, was America's sweetheart there for a, quite a while, and she just lit up the screen the first time you saw her. I think she was in the movie for a total of maybe less than 10 minutes, but she's an extremely memorable character that, that, yeah, she was able to do so much in that short amount of time. And she goes from from uh, a pretty wide spectrum of emotion from the beginning to the last time that you see her towards the end of the movie. Right, right. So th- we go from that brief moment where we meet uh, Charlie and Bradley, and then we go backward at flight school again. And this time we're in, in another meeting. And Charlie really criticizes Maverick. It kind of goes out of her way. To, to put down, uh, you know, a maneuver that he did in front of everybody. Well, it was very direct. Uh, you know, as, as we're getting to know with the Charlie character, it's extremely, uh, there is no frills. It's not, she doesn't, um, she doesn't mince words. She comes right at him and says, this is what you did wrong. 
and this is what you should have done. And Viper agrees with her. And um, so Maverick is kind of defending himself, uh, and and she's basically telling him, uh, you, that's that's a that's a big gamble with a ten million dollar plane, and um, so he's he kind of has his tail between his legs at this point, and he's mad. He's mad. He goes storming out of the meeting. He goes gets on his motorcycle. But before that, yeah, as he's sitting there and he puts his head down, and you can tell he's fuming. One of his uh, fellow classmates, I believe that was Wolfman. Wolfman just kind of yeah. leans in and says yeah. into his ear, gutsiest move I've ever seen. Right. So he gets a little bit of credibility before he gets to walk out of the room. So he, he kind of walks out with a little bit of dignity, but he's still mad. <laughs> right. And I think part of it is, is too, is because if it comes down to the his flying, you can't criticize his flying. And you, you have to be gutsy and you can see where some of the other pilots, you know, or Wolfman, you know, being a Rio, still they recognize the fact that... This is, this is, you know, he, he has a lot of skill. But as Scott is playing the theme, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the famous love song from the movie, Take, Take My Breath Away, uh, performed by Berlin, Terry Nunn in Berlin. Remember that it starts up because he's walking and she's behind him. And they're coming out of the building. And he won't turn around. And he won't acknowledge her. And she's trying to catch up to him. And she's going, Lieutenant, Lieutenant. And he finally turns around. As he's getting on the motorcycle, and he, as she's trying to explain herself, he keeps revving the engine so she can't can't be heard. And and once again, another scene that is kind of played off on in Maverick. Which with, one? With the, where where Maverick is walking behind one of the characters, calls him by, calls him by name. That's true. But he yeah. won't turn around. I, I didn't even think about it's that. It's the same sort of thing where she first is, you know, like you know. You know, basically, you know, Maverick, Maverick won't turn around. And then he has to turn around because she has authority over him. Right. And then pulls the, the rank card. Right. So it, she, he takes off on the motorcycle. He starts flying down the road. She takes off after him. She's, turns out she's got as much, uh, you know, guts on, at least on the, on the roadway as these guys do in the air. She, she chases after him. And, and essentially just, like, flies right through an intersection of cars. So what does she chase after him in? What, what's her car? I'm going to say it was, it looked like an older-style Porsche. Yeah, yeah. I would say, because it's very similar to Michael J. Fox's Porsche in the Doc Hollywood movie. Uh, I'm going to say it was an early 911. It's a 1958 Porsche 356 Speedster. Okay. Now, some of the online um, articles say that it was a replica. Okay. Uh, but, you know, whether that's just online talk or not. But that was the actual car that at least it was supposed to be, which is kind of interesting that they would pick a vehicle like that. I think, you know, it kind of gives you a little insight into Charlie's personality. Sure. You know, a classic car like that, you know, convertible. And you're right. She drives every bit as wild as what how he flies or rides his motorcycle. And I think the great ending to that particular scene where they're on the road is when she comes up and he's already got his motorcycle parked and Kelly McGillis is really driving the car and she comes up to like, a, she's sliding that car like 10 feet. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to be driving pretty fast to be able to get that car to slide that far with the brakes locked up. And and that's her. She she They filmed the whole scene. He's there and, she, and Tom Cruise is, there's nothing between him and the car but that motorcycle. 
And if she doesn't do it right, she's plowing into that motorcycle and could potentially hit him in real life. Right. Um, but she does it. She does it extremely well. She gets out and they start arguing. They start arguing. And then here's a little bit of movie magic where at one point, Tom, or yeah, Tom, well, Maverick looks at Charlie in the middle of the argument, pauses. Why does he pause? Because Tom Cruise forgot his line. Oh, is that right? He forgot his line, so he improvised and he kisses her. That was not in the script. Okay. And Tony Scott said, that's incredible. That's, that, is, that is magic right there. Well, it, it ended up being appropriate to the scene because she's yelling at him, and then all of a sudden she drops the, you know, the information that, I really like you. You know, I, I don't want people to see that, uh, you know, I have fallen for you and that, um, you know, I'm attracted to you. I want to want to have a relationship with you. And I could, I could see where that and would. Maverick was at a loss for work. I could see that could drop, you know, drop his jaw and he'd be like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to that. Because Tom Cruise forgot That's what great. to say. I did, it, I did not know that. It, it's and that that is, you know, one of a, a memorable scene. Like, I totally remember that happening. Like, you know, from. 20 years you know, later, I still remember that, and it was just something Tom made up on the spot. So well, Good for you, Tom. Yeah, good and job. so then we get into to a love scene, which was added later. So the original movie did not have a love scene, but audiences, at least in the mid-'80s, wanted love scenes. True. So I they, mean, that love was in, added. A love interest had to be in just about every movie, which, right. you know, with Bruckheimer and Simpson, with Flashdance. Now, the funny thing is, you know, in... in Beverly Hills Cop, yeah, right. Eddie Murphy did not have a love interest. And I can totally see how the original movie would have cut from that scene to the next scene you know, where we're back at the, the airfield again, right? So that, I, you know, I, it, it would have worked very, just as well without that being there. So there's the love scene. Then we go back to the airfield and then we see Slider and, and Iceman. They're walking up and they, they go to Maverick and Goose. Uh, you know, Iceman got another one today. And yep. then it's one of the most famous lines in, in cinema history. And and Maverick looks at Goose, he goes, or he's like, I feel the need. And then they both say, the need for speed. And then they do the high five. Yeah. And then away they go. So now they're actually flying together. I think this may be, I don't know if it's the first time that Iceman and Maverick are... Or no, no, that was... No, they're playing with Hollywood this time. They're playing with Hollywood, and that's because when... Because this Viper appears That's for when the we first see time. Viper for the first time in the air, yeah. Yeah. So Hollywood is is the, the leader. Yeah. Maverick's supposed to be his wingman. And then all of a sudden... Jester appears, or Viper appears. Viper appears, and he's like, good morning, gentlemen, it's 104 degrees. <laughs> and, and then everybody's like, oh, man, uh, it's Viper. And then Tom Cruise, or Mar- Maverick, says, I bet he's saying... Oh man, it's Maverick and Goose. Yeah, and so Viper's out there. Jester is also out there. We don't know that yet. Well, they're they're chasing after Jester first. Okay, and Viper okay. comes in, and then all of a sudden, because uh, Hollywood is on chasing after okay. Jester, now Maverick sees the opportunity. He's going after the Holy Grail. Sure, is to try and get Viper, and nobody. I don't think anybody had gotten him to that point. So he does what he's not supposed to do. Leave his wingman. He, be, you know, he he becomes selfish, and he and Hollywood's like, like, "Don't do it, Maverick. Yeah. Don't do it. Everybody's, don't leave me." Even even Goose is against it. Yeah, he's like, "Don't leave Hollywood, man. He's your cover." And so then he's like, "Ah, Hollywood, he's, you're good. He's Hollywood's cover, or your Hollywood's yeah. cover." Yeah, sorry. So he's Maverick goes up. Oh, 
Hollywood, you're good. And then he takes off after Viper, and they go through this pretty extensive, very, you know, if the hard deck was 10,000 feet, it wasn't at that particular moment because they're flying in between the mountains. And you, and you get a little insight into Viper because Viper's got a little commentary where he's saying, oh, this guy's good. Right, and he's, he's encouraging, uh, you know, even though I'm sure... He was trying to bait him away from right. being the wingman. But he's, I, I know, but at one point he's, he's, he wants Maverick to succeed to a certain degree because he's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because he's, he's almost like you can see him behind there looking, you know, well, come on, kid, keep up with me, keep up with me. And, and Maverick's chasing everyone and they're, and they're flying their butts off. And, and so you can, on one side, Viper wants Maverick to catch him, but he's not going to let him. You know, he's not going to give him right. the win. Right. So he's he's like, you know, come on, kid. Come on, kid. And then they're, but he can't shake him. And he, and they're like, yeah, he, I mean, you know, both Maverick says about Viper, man, this guy's good. And then Viper turns around and says, man, this kid is good. Right. So they have, there's there's a respect there between them. And then they're, they're chasing, chasing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jester comes in behind, boom, radar lock on Maverick. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know that you know. Fortunately, but as far as the competition goes for Top Gun, I guess uh, Viper and Jester got Iceman before he got uh, you know Maverick and Hollywood. So we we saw that going on, but still, it's you know Maverick is, you know we see the uh, we see that Maverick is struggling with this, and then we we have a scene afterwards where Maverick is kind of sitting in his room and looking at a picture of his father, where he's on his father's shoulders as a young boy. Yeah. Um. And he's contemplating, you know, you could tell he's, he's, he's a little bit, a little torn in terms of, you know, he's being accused by Iceman of being an outsider, which he, he really does seem to be like that because there's a lot of scenes where he's alone. And so he's struggling with, with the fact that, you know, what is it about him? And when he decides to make these decisions to not to go against what he what orders are what he's supposed to do and do something like that where he just saw viper and he had to chase after him it was too instinctive and he had been accused of that throughout the movie up to this point so you can kind of see he's almost at a crossroads in his career of and you can almost see the wheels turning in his head like i gotta stop know, doing this I, I i need i need to get i need to be better at this right Right, and it, it you know this is just, it's it's kind of the classic struggle throughout. But so we we go from from that to now kind of a happy scene where we get to see Goose at the piano with a Hawaiian shirt on playing uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's "Great Balls of Fire," and we also get a little insight into uh, Carol and we a little bit of uh, her backstory with Maverick. Yep, and. The thing about we learned about Anthony Edwards is the guy can play the piano because it, it, he was right there and, and he's played really did play the piano in the movie. So kudos to uh, to Goose for being able to. Now, granted, he didn't do the uh, where he's moving the fingers down, you know, down, up and down the piano like like Jerry Lee can or playing with his feet, but. Goose did a pretty nice job with this. But we we see the uh, you know his his little boy Bradley sitting on top of the piano where where Goose is down there you know playing away. It, it's a it's you know it's a fun moment. And Maverick is 
basically showing Charlie to his family right. for the very first time. Right. And, you know, and of course, Carol is embarrassing him in, in front of Charlie. And, uh, you know, you know, talking about, about Penny Benjamin. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, uh, and of course, you know, then at some point, you know, Maverick's like, okay, I'm going to leave and uh, basically not take this anymore. And she, at that point, um, you know, Charlie is told about how I could give you a million reasons why you should run from this guy. She goes, but I just love him to death. You know, I just love him so much. So he just and to kind of paraphrase in a way, she's like, you know, there's there's hearts breaking all, all all over the world tonight because you know only a fool wouldn't be able to say that he's in love with you. Yeah, and so I think Charlie was the first one to initiate that that romance with Maverick, aside from just the cocky pilot to the to the female. Now you can see that they're starting to have more of a mutual love and you know an attraction for each other so um it's almost like charlie realizes for the first time how serious maverick is towards her and the final scene that we have before we go to the next scene is all of them it's 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 goose at the piano it's little bradley uh, you know there at the piano it's it's maverick they're up there singing all and then all of a sudden Carol and Charlie come up and start singing at the piano. So it's a very happy scene. It, it's like, here's kind of, as you say, this is Maverick's family. And they, everybody likes each other, and it's a good moment. And we're, we're going to move forward into the future with all this optimism. Things couldn't be better. <laughs> we're about to hit the lowest point of the movie. Just I, after we go to an all-time high in the movie. And, and I have to say, and, and you had said it as well, that it was... Truly, um, you know, there, there aren't, aren't too many in those, you know, we've, we've all seen the movie. We've all seen, you know, the situation where they go up there and, and Mavericks with Iceman and they're arguing over the radio. And so finally, uh, Iceman's taking too long to get a shot off and Mavericks saying, come on, I could take a shot from here. So they finally get Iceman to leave. And as he pulls away and Maverick moves into his spot, he flies into Iceman's jet wash. And right. now Maverick's out of control. He goes into a spin. He goes into a flat spin out in the ocean. And Iceman, being by the book, he radios for help right away. Um, but at this point, Maverick cannot get control of his plane. So they're spinning uncontrollably. They're going out into the ocean. They're losing altitude. So at, at one point, they are pulling the eject. And so when the cockpit releases and both seats are ejected, Maverick's seat is clear of the cockpit that broke away. Goose's, unfortunately, is not. And Goose goes up and snaps his neck into the uh, base of the cockpit as before it could get um, you know, away from the, from the uh, airplane. Right. And then we see where Maverick is, is in the ocean, uh, you know, you know. And he goes over, you know, because Goose's chute goes off, but he comes down and he's 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 dead, and he's there in the ocean, and and you know Maverick just won't let go of him. In fact, at one point, the the emergency crew tells him he, you have to let go of him. And yeah. it, now it's we we go from the incredible heights of the previous scene to now Maverick's world has just been shattered. What little family that he had is now gone, and he wants himself once again finds himself alone. Um, and he thinks it's his fault. Right, he blames himself for it. Right, because 
Goose was his responsibility. Because, you know, I didn't understand it when I was younger watching the film. I just assumed that, that Goose was a co-pilot. I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand how these things were. And, you know, learned later, later on, you know, he, no, he's running the radar. Right. He's, he's not a pilot. He doesn't have any controls back there. He provides eyes in the back of the plane. Yeah. And he can, he's able to check more of the gauges that a pilot really does, you know, a fighter pilot really does not have the time to be able to check everything. Side, side note with that, you remember the game, the, the, uh, the video game Sinistar? Sure. So at the yeah. arcade? Yeah. All right. So we did the same thing. Todd Whitmer and I went to the beach and he would play the game. And I was his uh, radar guy. And you remember the big, the head would bounce around yeah. off the side, but you couldn't always see it. It was like off in the corner. So my job was to always monitor <laughs> where the head was. And so when I remember seeing this. I'm like, hey, that's kind of what I do for the video game. And I'd stand next to it and monitor. So that's kind of what Goose's role was. Sure. Or just what the Rio's role is. And he really had no control over this plane. So he really was uh, Maverick's responsibility. Right. And um, these rear intercept officers were as was mentioned earlier in the movie that they these guys were pilots at one point and gave up the front of the cockpit to be in the back of the cockpit to go ride with these or or fly with these other um, uh, I guess you could call them superior pilots which uh, Slider did with Iceman and then uh, Goose did with Maverick right Right. So anyway, so now we have the, you know, the you know, Goose, you know, dies. We, you know, Maverick's, his confidence is shaken. You know, he blames himself. It, you know, he meets with Carol. And, you know, as he, you know, brings Goose's things to her. And Carol basically says, you know, you had, in a way, you have to go on. That if anything happened to you, it would have killed Goose. To, you know, he would have hated it, but he would have continued. Right. And so no one's blaming Maverick, but Maverick is blaming himself. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was... Like I said, she she did a in such a short amount of time to say something to the effect of, um, you know, he as much as he loved flying with you, he would have flown anyway, and and I think that's a pretty poignant thing that she was trying to say to him that he was, um, you know, that as much that's how much Goose loved being in the air, and it would have been with Maverick, it could have been with Iceman, it could have been with Hollywood, it could have been with any one of these guys. But so we, we have a trial. They they well they uh, well they ha- they look into the situation. The military determines that there was nothing that Ma- Maverick could have done. It was not his fault at all. He's completely exonerated, and he's restored to flight status. And you have where Viper's in the courtroom uh, where the hearing's taking place, and he says to to Jester, get him up there as soon as possible. Right, because Viper, being the experienced, both men being the experienced pilots that they are. They understand that probably the longer you wait, the more fear and doubt can creep into a pilot. And that sort of becomes the, I guess, the emphasis going forward for the rest of the movie is you kind of have to push your fears away because, as, as he'll say later on, you got to push it. You got you to gotta go up there and you got to push it. And otherwise, you, you, you'll never do what you're intended to do or supposed to do. Right. And so we, we now get Maverick back up in the air. But the thing that made Maverick great, this, this incredible confidence that he had, this, this lack of fear, is gone. And now he doubts himself and he just refuses to engage. And he goes from being over-the-top aggressive to just being so cautious he doesn't do anyone any good. 
Right, and he even disengages when he is close to a shot. So he's up there, and he has an opportunity, but he's not really, he's not really rabid after the MIG when he's up there with Sundown. And this is right. the scene where he's with Sundown. And Sundown's saying, hey, man, take the shot, take the shot. And so he's like, no, 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 it's no good. And then he actually disengages. And I guess they at that point, he's done. He goes back down. And so there's another scene of Maverick walking and somebody trying to chase him down from behind. And this time it's sundown. Right, right. And then so eventually, um, you know, we see a, a scene where Iceman is trying to console Maverick a little bit. He's standing behind him and he says, you know, everybody's sorry about Goose. You know, everybody liked Goose. And that's, that's about all he can muster. And a couple of minutes later, we see that Wolfman's on the phone talking to somebody. And he said, Maverick quit. Yeah, um, so they're in the in the locker room, and he's pa- he's packed up. He's done. He 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 decides that he's he's out, and so much like Cougar did yeah. in the beginning of the movie, he's basically I'm done as a pilot. That's it. So he's he's packing up, and as you said, a phone call is made. So while he's waiting for his flight, he's sitting in a bar, and who comes walking into the bar but Charlie? Do you think Wolfman called Charlie? I do. So that's that was what I always thought. I mean, they don't tell us that. It, it's kind of odd, and the fact that you know he doesn't say Charlie, this is Wolfman. He just says this is Wolfman. Maverick just quit. Which is which is interesting to me because obviously, if that was done, then there were people in the class or people at the flight school that knew this relationship was going on. And remember, it was supposed to be secret, secret right. in the very beginning. So whether or not they, you know, that scene where um, Goose and Carol are together and Maverick and Charlie, maybe that was kind of their coming out as a couple. It's in public. I mean, it's at the bar that all the the pilots went to. It's never talked about. Right. But my impression of that scene was because he was doing it quietly, is that he was actually trying to get a hold of Charlie and let her know that he was leaving. Yeah. That's the, I just, you know, always wondered why they didn't give us a little more information. But anyways, we have Charlie shows up at the bar, tries to talk Maverick out of quitting. But, you know, as she, you know, eventually says, she can see he's already left. She's not very um, warm and loving no, in not that really. scene. Not really. Uh, she's, she's, she's back to being, you know, direct. And they, they say it one time, the scene where they're at, the, at her house. And she says, "Do you think you're flying? You're flying up there as a result of something of your dad? You know, you know, trying to avoid what your dad's like. You know, the fact that his his dad was considered a disgrace in the in the military." Um, and she's like, do you, "Do you think that's why you, you fly the way you do up there?" And he just looks at her and goes, "You are direct, aren't you?" Yeah. So she has one of these very direct conversations with him, where she's essentially saying. You'll never be happy unless you're doing this, and that you're you're just you're going to hate yourself, and that you you need to you need to get back in there and and keep doing it. And at that point, he's he's still not ready to do it. So I give you a good contrast. I'm glad you kind of pointed out how Charlie wasn't very effective, right? So contrast that with which is the next scene where he goes to Viper's house mm-hmm. on a Sunday. And we we see Viper's family, his wife, his kids. Viper's wife knows Maverick. 
when he walks up. Yes. There's so she is familiar with who these students are. Right. It, you know, so obviously Mike Viper doesn't isn't keeping it at work at work. You know, he's he discusses things with his wife and she knows all about Maverick and Viper comes down and then we see what in my opinion is what a good speech is all about. One of the best, yeah. I I again, this is where I I really credit them casting a guy like Tom Skerritt because of the credibility of his life experience that he brought to that character's role because he did it, ex- I, I would say, he did it exactly as, as a real officer in the real military would have done to a real student. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't consoling. It wasn't patting him on the back. It's like, um, hey, if you're going to fly you're going to know people that are going to die. Right. Which is also brought into the new movie as well. And it's something that Maverick in the new movie says to somebody else. And it's a direct connection to this conversation that we're talking about right now. And he's, he's essentially saying, okay, these are your options. You can, you can leave. There would be no disgrace or you can continue to fly. You're going to see more casualties. It's going to happen. That's, that's a part of the job. He goes up there. We got to push it. And again, he's, so Maverick's getting that, uh, you know, you can't be passive as a pilot. You have to be aggressive. You have to be arrogant. You have to be, um, you have to be cocky to be able to do what these pilots do. But, you know, before we even get to that, Viper puts his career on the line. And he totally wins Maverick's trust over by letting him know what actually happened to his father. And he tells him the classified information how they were flying in an area they weren't supposed to be flying in, and how his father actually acted heroically. Is his father in the picture? I That was how I always took it. They don't say it, because he's there, he's staring at a picture, and Maverick is looking at a picture in, in Viper's house of, of Viper as a pilot standing next to another pilot, just staring at it, and Viper walks up and goes, yeah, I started with your old man. So even though Maverick doesn't know it at that point. I I think that's the first time he realizes it. Viper kind of knows Maverick's life backstory in part because of the fact that he flew with his father in Vietnam. And Vietnam was one of those wars that, you know, if the United States military could probably go back and do over again, I'm sure they would because there were a lot of mistakes made. And in doing so, there was a lot of misinformation that was given out at various times if you've uh, gen xers you know the the robin williams movie good morning vietnam uh there's that is kind of the backstory of the whole premise of the movie is the fact that the censorship of what was going on as it was being reported so it add you know go to this this story where there was a battle that was lost and the United States did not want to go through the public humiliation. So essentially what they did was they pinned the blame on one pilot, and that was Maverick's father. Who didn't make it back. Right. He ended up dying. Right. So it was kind of an easy way to uh, talk about, um, you know, kind of sweep something under the rug that they didn't want to talk about. So instead of saying that mistakes were made from a, from a um, uh, tactical standpoint, that they'll kind of push the blame over to a pilot and said the pilot made mistakes. Well, Viper for the first time in Maverick's life tells him 
Now your your dad did it right. Uh, you know, said that he actually took down many aircraft before he got shot down himself. And he tells him, you know, what I'm I'm putting my career on the line by telling you this. So they, in in doing so, uh, Maverick kind of gets that that validation of for his whole life being told that your dad was. Uh, a bad his name was poor because we learn in the opening scene stinger tells him your family name you don't have a good family name in the military you need to work twice as hard and be twice as good as everybody else here because of your father's name and here is the top pilot arguably the top pilot in the world and the the number one instructor at top gun is is telling him that his dad was actually a good pilot and did things the right way so uh, i'm sure on, on one level as down as he was when he walked into that meeting, that alone right there gave I'm sure probably made him feel gave him a little bit more confidence and like you said, one of one of the better uh, pep talks that he pro- that he could have gotten. Very successful. All right, but we still don't know what's going to happen with Maverick, how he's going to take it. You know, you know that uh, you know Viper tells him you've you know you've acquired enough points where you can graduate, show up at graduation with the rest of your your classmates, and we get to graduation and Maverick's not there. I mean, we look around, you know, people, I say, you know, wonder what happened to him. He's, he's not there. And then it's over. There's kind of like the, uh, the, the post-graduation party. Maverick does show up. And he is very gentlemanly-like, walks up, congratulates Iceman, congratulates Slider. And that's all he says, just basically congratulations. But he's at least now kind of stepped forward that he's going to, you know, come back into the fold again. Okay. And... There's actually, that's the first time that there is a little bit of a, the, the, I guess the, the fists are, are dropped. The gloves have been dropped for the first time between Iceman and Maverick. Even when Iceman comes up in, and tells him that he's sorry about the loss for Goose, you can still feel the tension between the two of them. And for the very first time, uh, you know, Maverick looks him in the eye and tells him congratulations. And so there's no, you know, snappy comeback right. on the part of Iceman. He's just, right. he just basically thank says, thank you. Yeah. Um, they're still not done. The two of them still aren't done because as soon as they, they have this handshake, uh, Viper comes in and he's got, he's got bad news that there's a, there's a conflict or a situation that needs to be addressed immediately. Right. And so they send the top teams from Top Gun. It's, it's so, you know, obviously Iceman and, and Slider are the number one teams. They, they get orders to go. Um, we have uh, uh, Hollywood and Wolfman. They get orders. And then Maverick gets orders. And then he is told that when he arrives, that he will get his Rio when he arrives. But Viper goes one step further, and he said, "If we can't find anyone for you, because I'd be happy to fly with you." Right, and this is not this is not a training mission. No, this is the real deal, which we find out as they're once they're on the aircraft carrier that this is a ma- this is a major situation that is that is brewing. One of the uh, one of the U.S. ships has stalled out and it's moved out into enemy waters, and they need cover. And there's hostile territory between. The, um, you know, uh, we don't know which country, but we know it's not an ally. Correct. So what they do know is they need to pr- provide airspace coverage against any attackers that, that may come on. And the, the they're being reminded, and now Stinger comes back into the movie because it's his aircraft. 
um, that his aircraft carrier that tensions are high. And if you, uh, you know, basically what he's saying is uh, shooting is okay. If, if you're, if, if you are shot, then you will shoot back. Right. So I, the little bit of research that I, I found on this is they, that final scene was kind of based on some real life events. So, you know, we talked about the military being involved with this. There was, there was an incident with North Korea back in 1968 mm-hmm. that they based part of this on. And then there was another incident in the 80s, uh, which was probably more directly related to it, where there were, there were some MiGs that were shot. And so that's kind of where they're, they're piecing it together for this final scene. And we have, um, you know, the, the top teams are going up. Maverick, who has now been assigned Merlin, who had been Cougars, Rio. Right. Is is now, but they're on deck. They're they're the the backup. Right. They, they're the backup team that that has not been called into action. And even even before they get into their planes, Iceman still goes up to the commander Stinger mm-hmm. once again, who's the commander of, of the ship, and wants to know if it's a good idea to have Maverick. Yeah, he still at that point had not shown his ability to be a teammate at that point, and Iceman recognizing that this is the real deal uh you know before it was it was very simple for them to just complain about it now he's actually going up to a superior officer and saying hey is this a good decision you know i you got to be able to trust who's up there in the air with you now he's going up with uh hollywood or was it holly it was hollywood i I think i think it was hollywood wolfman yeah, Wolfman. Yeah, that's who it was. So he's up there. He was up there with Wolfman because they get shot down. They do, and so they're they're out there, and what they first view as just two MIGs turns into four, and then into six, and how they were able to do so without being caught on radar, we don't know. But they're there, right? And now all of a sudden, it's it's two on six, and we know right away what the intentions are of the MIGs because. Immediately, they fire a shot on Wolfman and, and, and shoot him down. Right. Now, they didn't blow the plane up, but they did shoot the one wing off, and they did have to uh, crash land and eject into the ocean. Right, exactly. So at that point, now Maverick is called into duty. And for a moment, Maverick doesn't engage. You know, he, there's like this split second. And then there's this kind of re- reoccurring conversation that, that Maverick has. So when Goose is alive and he needs help to know where things are at, he's always, talk to me, Goose. Right? right? That's always his line. Talk to me, Goose. What's going on back there? Talk to me. When Goose is no longer there and he has Goose's dog tags with him and he, he still says, talk to me, Goose. And then that's the moment that he finally snaps into it and is able to take off. And to me, one of the great, great scenes of the movie and the cinema the cinema photography and the way the movie was shot the fact that it was actually done and when you have that split moment where maverick is coming into the fight and you see the way that these planes are flying you know they're not flying straight you know straight and arrow i mean they're going up down they're flipping i just to me that's one of the most amazing scenes that that's really done and to watch those planes fly the way they do, that they they flip flip upside down and go down, and then it's in, it's incredible to see. And I, I could I look at that chaos in front of him and go wow. And I can I can see where that would be shocking to him because 
this is the real deal. This is not a training mission. Right. And then, so, of course, Maverick, Maverick joins the fight. And what does he do? But he immediately flies through some jet wash and goes into a spin, just as what happened when Goose dies. Yeah. And he, he's not able, in the beginning, it's like, oh, no, here we go again. And he does what he's supposed to. You know, he, he moves the, the, the stick on the, you know, on his uh, plane and he's able to get control, but he's shaken, badly shaken. And he disengages. And as the, uh, the radar operator announces to Stinger, he's like, Maverick is disengaged. And everybody's like, oh, come on. Yeah, especially and, Iceman. And Iceman's like, I knew it. I yeah. knew it. And so at this point, it's really the crossroads of Maverick's life. And now he's, and I, you know, that's when he is definitely pulling out the tag saying, talk to me, Goose, talk to me. And, you, you know, they do the scene where they kind of show the, the dog tags in his hand. And he snaps into it, and suddenly the the switch gets turned, and he he says that you know he's not going to leave his wingman, and then he does his he engages one of the MIGs, and does his his famous where I'm I'm where you know Merlin is like you know he's he's closing on us, he goes I'm going to hit the brakes and let him fly by, and Merlin goes you're going to do what <laughs> right because the only other person that really knew that he did that was was goose right right and of course he pulls off the maneuver in- incredibly effective and he's back in shoots the meg down well you know i think there's a little bit of it shows the improvisational ability of maverick but up to that point when he's in the fight when he does re-engage and he's fighting with iceman he's doing it right he's doing it by the book just like iceman was the only reason that he pulls that cowboy kind of maneuver is because that was his last missile and he didn't have any other any other thing to shoot the MIG down with. He had to make sure that he absolutely wasn't going to miss because the previous shot or the previous plane, I think he missed it once before he got it again. Right, right. And and Iceman was getting shot. I mean, he, he had he, already he, lost an engine. Sure, right, right. So that you know, of course, you know, it's it's super successful. It's uh, like you would expect in, in this type of movie. It's you know it. It's you're exhilarating. You, you know the the crowd's cheering. If you were in the theater, we well, didn't see it in the theater, but had we seen it, the, the crowd would have been cheering. The crowd in the living room where I saw it was cheering. <laughs> Everybody's excited. You come back. It's the the victorious scene on the deck of the ship. Yeah, you know we even get the helicopter coming back in, and hey, there's Wolfman and Hollywood, and you know they're okay. They get off the the, the helicopter and celebrate with everybody. Uh, Tim Robbins. Now that I know it's him, and you see him. He's like a foot and a half taller than everybody. Oh, he's gigantic. He's like six five. Yeah, there, there's no, and you can't be that tall and <laughs> and fly planes. I mean, they they won't let you, you know, in, in a plane if you're that tall. So you know, once again, a little bit of uh, you know movie magic there. But I, I till I I never really paid attention to him before, but now go back and watch and see just how much taller he is than everybody. Yeah, um, and we go on to to see Tim Robbins just a couple of years after that in the movie Bull Durham which uh, kind of made him a household name. but And, of course, here, you know, the big thing is that now uh, Maverick has, has – he did what he's supposed to do. He, he was the team player. He didn't leave his wingman. He stayed by Ice's side, and he actually was, you know, he was the guy that, that saved the day for right. Ice. Because Ice – he shot down – Ice shot down one MiG, and Maverick shot down three. And the other two bugged out. So they, uh, you know, it was three to one Maverick in, in terms of, um, you know, shooting planes down. So now they come back. 
very triumphant climactic scene. They're on the aircraft carrier on the on the deck, and they get out of their planes, and, and everybody's embracing. Here comes Hollywood. He's safe, and and Merle, you know, they're they're everybody's happy, patting each other on the back, and now the two adversaries come face to face, and Iceman starts it out by yelling out and pointing and going, "You." And they come over and they look at each other. You're still dangerous. You could be my wingman anytime. And Maverick, of course, says. BS. Well, I, you know, <laughs> it's a clean show. Yeah. You could be mine. And then they embrace. And it's great because that that exact shot, that exact scene right there of them shaking hands is in the new movie if you haven't seen it. So it's a great, it's a great shot. And throughout the movie... The filming of the movie, uh, Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise intentionally stayed away from each other. They they wanted to be have a tension right. between the two of them, so they didn't really like each other, and that that was a legitimate feeling, which you know is good acting, you know, to be able to play off of that. And then, but that is the scene everybody wants at the end. You know, here you have these guys. We we they come together after you have the embrace that Scott just talked about. We see. Maverick on the deck. He's got Goose's dog tags. And so after after thinking about it, um, you know, everything that's happened to him since he's gone to Miramar and been a part of the Top Gun flight school, uh, he finally is able to put put the death of Goose officially behind him. And then he's looking out on the, uh, you know, the rear of the ship and he tosses the dog tags into the ocean, uh, signifying the fact that he's ready to move on. Right. From from, uh, from the the accident. So after that, we have we have Maverick and Stinger, and Stinger approaches Maverick, and he's like, "Yeah, how's it feel to be, you know, such a famous person?" And you know, the the, the even though the enemy doesn't recognize that it happened, that uh, you, because of your exploits, have been given the uh, are allowed to pick whatever post that you want, and he. Of all the places that he decides he wants to go to, he wants to go to Top Gun and be an instructor. And Stinger, now uh, after Maverick having to uh, suffer at the hands of Stinger's wrath for probably quite a while, uh, Stinger knowing Maverick probably better than anybody else in the military at that point, kind of chuckles and like, you know, Top Gun, he's like, oh, God help us. Yeah. And pats him on the back as as he leaves because I think... His success up there with the uh, you know incident with the MIGs was sort of a validation for Stinger because uh, you know Stinger chose Maverick and Goose to go to Top Gun. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. Right. So he, you know, like Viper, he was another person that that put his faith in Maverick more so than anybody else that Maverick probably knew at that point. And you and I both have had coaches that have been hard on us, and even when we've coached, you know, they're players that that we got on and usually it's the players that we saw talent in. Mm-hmm. And if, if they, and if you knew if that player would just understand what they could be, they could put it together. And you kind of sense that that's kind of where someone like a stinger is with this. He's, he's going to ride Maverick just because he thinks he has talent. So that finally takes us, you know, he decides he wants to be a top gun instructor. So now he's back at the bar where, uh, you know, there were happier times before with, with uh, you know, Carol and, and Goose and Charlie. 
And so he now he's back there and he's sitting at the bar and he's all alone. And then all of a sudden, somebody goes into the Wurlitzer jukebox, and, which I want to own someday. Oh, yeah. I would love to have That'd a Wurlitzer. So now all of a sudden, you, you're he's back at the bar and somebody goes into the Wurlitzer jukebox and picks a song and he's like, picks his head up and he looks around and he's like, oh, wow. And then he turns and he looks and who's standing there? But Charlie, who was supposedly on her way to D.C. because she did get the promotion. But now all of a sudden we see her back in San Diego and this is how the movie comes to an end. Uh, everything has come full circle. And then you get to meet the cast again, which I thought was kind of cool. Right. I, I, don't, I don't really remember them doing that in too many movies that we had seen up to that point, where you would have the cast uh, you know, with their names right there in, in the movie, in, in character in the movie. So, uh, and we got to see Goose again. You know, yeah, which I would like. Like we said, I was I was pretty bummed out that he didn't survive the crash that they actually killed him off, um, and his character was was so likable, and it was just a shame to see uh, you know somebody like that die in a movie. That brings us to the end of the you know the the, the Top Gun movie. I, well, an incredibly successful movie. It, it was you know we talked about the fact that the the military worked directly. Um, with this film, and it was an incredibly effective recruiting tool, which is what they wanted it to be. Right. That during its peak in the summer of 86, around the country, the Navy actually set up some recruiting booths and it, right on the spot, and they had a lot of people sign up. And recruiting went up, I believe it was 300%. Especially to get to get into the flight school. Just, it was a dramatic increase. Now, Hollywood wasn't as fully behind this movie as the military was. So when you look at some of the kind of the, when you look at the release date, the big blockbuster weekend for movies back in the day was Memorial Day weekend. That was when a lot of movies were like, if a studio was really throwing everything behind a movie, they would release it on Memorial Day. Top Gun actually got released the week before. And it was only put in about a thousand theaters across the country. So it wasn't a full scale release, which, you know, when Hollywood does something like that, that does that means that they, that the movie does not have the full backing of the studio. So they throw it out there in a thousand, thousand theaters. And is one of those rare movies that a month into its theatrical release was making more money than the first weekend which goes to show how the word of mouth of this movie grew and people, this, you know, Gen Xers, you know, it, you were there, how much buzz was around this movie when it came out. So now, and I'll kind of, you know, maybe wrap this up with a question for you is why do you think that this movie was such a big deal back in the day? And also kind of tied into that. Why do you think it's a movie that's still important to Gen Xers? I mean, enough where they made a sequel. I, uh, you know, it was different when it came out. Um, it, when it came out, I was 15 years old, not even 15 years old. I hadn't, I hadn't turned 15 yet. 
so it checks off a lot of those kind of guy kind of, th- it was definitely a, a, a movie that was directed towards male audience with, with the, you know, the love interest was trying to draw the females in the volleyball scene. Yeah. But it was, it was a guy's movie. Sure. I mean, come on, Let, let's not, let's not, uh, you know, cover that up. So as a young teenager, I thought these guys are super cool. Um, you know, to be a, to be a, a fighter pilot is about the, you know, the gutsiest thing that you could, you could do at the time. And so I admired that type of, that type of thing. The way the movie was shot was so unique in that it had, it combined the, the sound elements of the jet, of the jet planes and, uh, kind of that rock and roll. I mean, it was played behind a rock and roll soundtrack, right? So you had, you had danger zone playing while these planes are flying all over the place. The opening scene where they're just doing their doing their thing and you see the guys on the deck and the planes are going past and they're just doing like the cool hand movements and things like that. It was it was very stylistic for what it was trying to do and it, it drew me in almost immediately. It was picked in 2015 by the Library of Congress to be preserved. So obviously it had a significant impact on the culture of the United States at that time in 1986. And I think it's similar to what we talked about uh, in our episode on the Olympics. And because the, at the time that, you know, we're speaking of, you know, the Olympics were, it was in 1984. This is only two years later. There was a lot of patriotism, patriotism in the country. And there was, you know, I agree. It, you know, we, you've mentioned it, it was at the height of the cold war. And it's, I, it's a movie that where if it had been made in the 70s, people are still cynical with Vietnam. But at this point, they, they were, you know, people were feeling patriotic. And it, while there was certain artists that, like, that didn't want to participate um, in the making of the film or in the making of the soundtrack because they thought it was too pro-military, I think it, it was a moment in the culture that was right for that. It was the right place, right time. You're right. Because had that movie come out in the 70s yeah and had that uh pro stance on on uh flying and and military conflict and things like that you're absolutely right it would not have gotten the same response even if that movie would have come out three or four years before i don't think it would have had that type of reaction from american audiences i also think that because of the success that uh simpson and bruckheimer had with the uh, with Flashdance uh, and also Beverly Hills Cop, where they really understood MTV. And the the fact that even though I didn't see it in the theater, didn't see Top Gun in the theater, I saw the videos. And, you know, I saw Danger Zone mm-hmm. in particular. You know, uh, a song that we didn't really talk about was Lover Boy's Heaven in Your Eyes. Uh, I went back. It's not really in the movie, but I'm pretty sure it's in the background when... Goose and Maverick are waiting for Carol to come at the airport. Really? I think so. I'm pretty sure it's like kind of playing quietly in the background. That's about the only time it appears. That was a song that went to number 12. Yeah. And it's, it's if you go on YouTube, you can see the, the same video that we saw back in the day. And I, I went back and I was trying to find it. And there, there you go. It's a, it's a really good song. Yeah. And, I, and I heard Mike Reno tell the story that, you know, he was... 
he met Simpson and Bruckheimer on like a Monday, and they told him that they needed to have a song by Thursday. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and which is kind of interesting because then they didn't even put it in the film. Right. They put it on the on the soundtrack, but still, it was one of the major releases off of the album. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I I did not know that. Hey, man. I need you to write me a song. <laughs> He's like, this Thursday? <laughs> He's like, that's like four days away. And But still, it, it was because I think that, you know, by having the heavy rotation of the really good songs, it's a good soundtrack, um, you know, the songs still hold up pretty well today, that, you know, we just saw it, and it, it, it was something that when it did come out on video, I, I, I definitely wanted to say it. I think that... It goes to show deep down at Gen Xers, and we, we love the fact that we have listeners from all around the world, um, but this speaks a lot on the United States, what it was, and what people think about their country, and if a movie is done the right way, like Maverick, that has come out in the last year, people will rally behind it. You know, even though even though there is uh, fighting and there's shooting and there's you know it's it's conflict from one country to another, I think the fact that people will get behind it because of its it has a positive stance on how the country goes about its you know goes about its ways of conducting itself from a military standpoint. If it's done the right way, and as the original Top Gun was done, uh, you know. It has a good positive outcome for people, no matter what you know, race or ethnicity you are, you can rally behind this and, because it, it shows America in a positive way. I, I also think that Tom Cruise, we, we got to see the beginnings of a superstar. I, I don't know that anyone else could have played the part of Maverick other than Tom Cruise. I really can't imagine Matthew Modine, who was originally, you know, up for the part, right. and turned it down. Right now, Matthew Modine goes on to another pretty famous military movie, Full Metal Jacket, right. a couple of years later. But you're at, you're a hundred percent right. I there's nobody else that I could have seen. As much as I loved Anthony Edwards as Goose, I could see other people possibly doing that type of character. Yeah. Um, but no, I I don't. Uh, Top Gun is Tom Cruise. Right. And and he showed he went from being a very well-known actor to basically being a global icon after this movie comes out. Because the the range that he shows with the Maverick character where you know he has these this you know this personality which is both lovable and maddening is I don't know that a lot of actors will be able to to do it where it's believable. I mean, to, it'd be like, really? Someone's that completely, you know, a polar opposite. And But it was easy to see why Maverick would have struggled to follow orders and still have been this brilliant guy. Right. To be, to have that much confidence in yourself, but yet to be kind of charming yeah. and self-effacing at moments, you know, at times. And, uh, you know, when, when he first meets Charlie in the bar and they, he sings to her and she tells him to sit down and... She's, she's, you know, basically like he's telling her that he only did this one other time before. And she's like, well, how did it go? And he's like, crashed and burned. 
<laughs> so, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, it, it didn't work the last time I tried it. Right. Uh, so that's kind of that self-effacing humor. Right. Um, but yet uh, there's nobody that's going to doubt that he has, uh, you know, the utmost confidence in himself at that point. Right. Well, so hopefully this brought back some memories uh, with us running down Top Gun. It Maybe this will be a primer for you before you go see Top Gun Maverick. And if you haven't seen that, you really do need to see it because it it does continue the story and they do they do a really good job. And and I would agree with Sean. Take him up on the offer that if you're going to watch Top Gun Maverick, you know, very soon before you watch the uh, the second movie, watch the first one because you'll see a lot of the connections from the first movie to the second one. And like I said, they they really went to great lengths to do that, to tie the two stories together. And I thought they did a great job. So we highly recommend Maverick, but go back and watch Top Gun again. It's one of our favorites. It's, um, you know, one of the more famous movies of the 1980s. And it was certainly the movie of the year for 1986 in terms of, you know, box office. So yeah, hopefully you enjoyed a little, little walk back as we kind of went down through the whole movie. All right, so that concludes Top Gun. So, Scott, what do you have for next week? You know, I was thinking about uh, going through, a, I was like, well, we just did sports, we just did movies, and I guess it's my turn to go back into the uh, the old music range again. So okay. uh, our listeners typically like us when we do our, uh, kind of do our favorites list. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe... We'll go back in, and we're going to. We haven't really given a whole lot of love. We haven't given much love to the '70s. So I want you to come up with a list, and it doesn't. You know, we already talked about disco. So I, I kind of, I'm thinking, I'm leaning more towards the uh, the rock and roll 1970s because there was some really great 1970s music, especially in the middle to the late 1970s. So. I want you to come up with a, a list. doesn't have to be a top 10, but if you want to get 10 together, I want you to give me a list of your top 10 or top leading front people. So it could be um, male or female. Uh, it could be a solo singer or it could be a group. But uh, like if you were to take, if you were to go pay your money to go see a concert and it's 1978, and you're Hershey Park, PA, you know, checking out the band, which which favorite bands would you want to see from, could be, uh, you know, my memory of the 1970s is more towards the late 70s. But if I'm going to go see somebody, who is it that I want to go see from the 1970s? So your top uh, front person okay. in, uh, you know, in the 1970s era. Okay. All right. All right. I have my assignment. All right, so you Gen X fans, you have your assignments as well. So go ahead and talk about it, think about it, and we will uh, talk to you next time. Once again, we are so happy to keep adding listeners uh, on a weekly basis to our little family of uh, you know Gen Xers that we just love going back and talking about some happy memories. And Top Gun was was a big one for us that that we thought was significant to to bring up for uh, for an episode. Yeah, and and hopefully it's it was one of your favorites as well. And um, yeah, go back and check it out. And even if you've watched it recently with Maverick, it's it's worth another view. 
So we're going to talk uh, 1970s rock and roll music next time on uh, episode, wow, episode 21 coming up. We did the Mike Schmidt today. That's right. The number 20. So Greg Gross next week <laughs> for you Phillies fans. Yeah. All right. But we thank you for listening to Gen X Playback. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. See ya. See ya.